Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going down? Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down. My name is Kenny McIntosh and unfortunately Finn Martin chose to be unprofessional and walk out before... No, I'm kidding. Finn Martin is here with me today and we're here to talk about all the wrestling, including the infamous walkout from last night. Finn, how are you today? I'm hoping that you are, that we're okay and we're on good terms. I feel like you just need to be sure these days after the Sasha Naomi incident. Well, exactly. Yeah, we might have to have like mediation, you know, get the... (laughs) get the, the reps out, you know, to represent us, Kenny, and you know, just smooth things out and just make sure everything's hunky-dory. No, I'm fine, Kenny, I'm fine. And, uh, yes, yeah, Sasha and Naomi. You know, when things like this happen, you realise that, you know, all is not right with the world in WWE, at least between Sasha Banks and Naomi and WWE management, as we understand it. Or is it part of a storyline? And will they come back as villains? What do you think? I don't think it's a work, I've got to say. I feel like it's a it's a real situation. I just don't see what the benefit would be to uh, to to the angle. But, I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. But we, we will get into that in, in detail when we kind of get to the raw portion. But I do want to, you know, we recorded last Thursday to do Power Slam and the Overrun. And then on Friday, the story came out that Roman Reigns is going to be because he did the, the speech at the house show, right? The Trenton, yes. New Jersey house yeah, show. Yeah, the night before WrestleMania backlash in Trenton, New Jersey. 
Yeah, and he'd done the kind of speech about what it means about, you know, I don't know if I'll be back. So what has transpired is that Roman Reigns is now going to be more of a part-time performer. He is going to be uh, wrestling on, I think the date that was, the dates that were put around for next year is maybe six to eight pay-per-views for the year rather than 12. He'll be on select TVs to promote his stuff. So this is a pretty big change, I guess, in the landscape of WWE because if this is happening then they need to kind of get their finger out to, to you know, create someone to pass the torch to for him or start getting someone ready. Um, what do you make of the news of Roman cutting back his schedule, which usually means, you know, if they're cutting back the schedule, that that's the beginning of the kind of less and less and less. Um, does this mean anything for WWE? Does it change any plans that they've got? What do you make of the news? Yeah, I mean, I think it changes it changes many things in WWE, not imminently, but certainly long-term for, for obvious reasons. And you're right. Um, I mean, at least they've been honest about this. I mean, remember back in... When did Rock first leave? 2000... No, 2000, wasn't it, to film The Mummy Returns? Yeah, the first... No, yeah, he, he went for like a couple of weeks in 2000, but the first noticeable one... Was 2001 when he left the night after WrestleMania and he was gone for about three and a half, four months. That's it. That was to film The Scorpion King, which came out in 2002. Yes. And obviously was in The Mummy Returns, but it was only like a cameo appearance. My God, that film was dreadful. Absolutely awful. I'd rather watch... Yeah, I'd rather watch... Well, actually, no, I'd rather watch The Mummy Returns than Forrest Gump. I've got to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) I thought you were going to... I thought a Cena thing was coming out there. I didn't know where that was going. But. <laughs> oh, I've never, never seen a Cena movie apart from, uh, was it Daddy's Home? And he just turned up at the end. No, no that's not true. I watched Bumblebee, didn't I? And I yeah. enjoyed it. He was good in that. There so you go. Let's, let's give Cena credit for, uh, <laughs> for his performance in that film. And it was a heartwarming movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, with The Rock, it was, it was very subtle and... Um, they didn't really want to disclose this information to the public that Rock was leaving. And I think it only became obvious to the majority when SummerSlam 2002 took place and Rock was booed out of the building against Brock Lesnar. And it was as if everyone realised that was it. You know, he's no longer a lifer. He's no longer here full time. He's just going to drop in now and again. And we resent him for it. And you've got to give WWE credit for actually putting this information out there. Nick Khan did that interview um, back in, I wrote about this in the latest issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. Nick Khan just did an interview in which he um, said that they were helping Roman Reigns transition to this next phase of his career in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they, they were, you know, all for it. You know, they were really pleased for him. There was all these things we were going to do to assist him in this process. And just really, they saw it as inevitable that this was where he was going to end up. Um, And rather than trying to block it or, you know, um, talk him out of it or resenting him for it, they were seeing this as as something that really needed to happen for Roman. It needed to happen for them as well. Um, And that it was better for everyone if they facilitated this process. So... Yeah, I understand why he's doing it. He's got to give it a try. I mean, it might not work for him. I mean, there are amazing similarities between Roman and the uh, the Aquaman fella, Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa, yeah. Yes, I have watched Aquaman. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, they look very similar. 
So you do wonder, is that going to hinder him in Hollywood? Or is he going to get those big gigs? Because, I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? They're both very good-looking guys. You know, they've got the great physiques. You know, they look like A-listers. You know, if Roman Reigns didn't have such a striking resemblance to a current A-lister, then I'm sure he would become an A-lister. But due to the similarities, that could maybe be a problem for him. It could. I mean, but, you know, it's funny because you mentioned about Nick Khan, you know, being all for the the transition and all that. I mean, at the beginning, Vince McMahon seemed to be publicly on board with The Rock's transition into Hollywood. Um, And obviously that changed. But I I think the thing with Roman is that now that they've seen this happen before, they know how this goes. Yeah. You know, Rock left, Cena left. I mean, Cena making it in Hollywood, anybody can make it. If that, you know, if that guy can make it. In Hollywood, then there's hope for anybody. Do you know what I mean? But um, so I think I think Roman will do well. But I do think it throws up, you know, before we thought that you know Roman's going to keep the title, you know, maybe past WrestleMania next year if he beats The Rock, and maybe there'll be somebody down the line after that who he was to. But this almost feels like this is going to speed up the process of. I mean, is Roman going to drop the belt this year? Because the strange thing is they've unified the titles, yeah, and now Roman's basically going part time. So yeah. It's this weird spot that they're in. I don't know how much notice they've had that he was going to... I'm sure they knew he was going to part, go part-time eventually. Yeah. But. yeah, he's been talking about it publicly, Roman, at least since October. So this is not a new development. Um, he's probably been talking about it. Well, he did. Didn't he have a small role in the Hobbs and Shaw movie? He did, yeah. He did. So yeah. I haven't seen that film, by the way. Won't be watching it, but he had a small <laughs> role. And a small <laughs> We'll I've tried watching. to watch a couple of those Fast and Furious movies and just had to turn them off. Oh, the dire. Um, oh, but uh, I mean, but they've got an audience. Lots of people like that sort of thing, and you know, good for them. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so that was the most don't... backhanded way. You know, people like that, and good, good for them. You know, if they, well, if lots they... of people hate pro wrestling. I mean, almost everyone I know hates pro wrestling. Some people detest it. Some people I maybe know just loathe pro wrestling. Maybe they just detest that it takes their time with you away from them. Maybe maybe they just know if pro wrestling wasn't around, they'd get more F Martin in their life. Well, maybe once upon a time, but I mean, it's not, <laughs> I don't work quite as many hours as I used to. Um, and I, I'd just like to point out that I never talk about pro wrestling with people who are not into pro wrestling. Don't bring it up. Don't ever mention it because I know that people aren't interested. So uh, it's not like I'm boring them to death with pro wrestling stories. Don't even talk about it. So um but yeah, I mean, the Roman Reigns thing, he obviously is reducing his appearances. They put this out publicly. And uh, yeah, you do wonder. I mean, this was actually part of the reason why I was opposed to this title unification match, because it meant that then one person held both belts um, and that person then would have to appear on Raw and SmackDown and you know, now it appears that person isn't going to appear on very many Raws or Raw or SmackDowns. And it just means there's going to be few appearances by the, the champion, the one champion. So, yeah, I'm not really sure how this is going to play out. I don't think it's particularly good for WWE, you know, in the short term or really in the long term, because I'm not sure who they've got really prepared to defeat Roman Reigns. I mean... I feel like the Lesnar versus Reigns story has not yet reached its conclusion, but would that really be a satisfactory outcome if Lesnar were to return and dethrone Reigns? Um, I mean, I don't know whether people really want to see that happen. I feel like they are going to clash again, 
but maybe not with either title on the line. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know who it's going to be. Um, I did notice on the Clash of the Castle advert for the on sale for the ticket, you know, tickets go on sale this week for Clash of the Castle, as people know. Mm-hmm. He had a large image of Roman and a large Im- image of Drew McIntyre. So I know, you know, you can't always read these things into, you know, the paraphernalia and the advertising that they put out there, but it does indicate what we've suspected that it'd be Reigns versus Drew McIntyre on the big show. Mm-hmm. So could it be Drew who dethrones Roman Reigns at that event? Um, I mean, Drew's been champion before. I mean, he feels worthy, feels like he's somebody who could beat uh, Roman Reigns for the belts. And I think that would be colossal for Drew if it were to happen there at that show. So maybe they're just leaving the belts on uh, on Reigns until then. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, there's there's so many different parts to it that you can unpack. I mean, one of the things that I think is a negative for WWE is we were met, we were a sort of a third of the way into this conversation, and I just remembered that Roman Reigns could be on both shows all the time because because I don't even think of him as an undisputed champion at all. I just think of him as the you know the SmackDown champion still because he's not really done anything on Raw since WrestleMania. He's not really done anything on any show to be honest since WrestleMania. So. You know, and even on SmackDown, he was kind of his whole role on SmackDown was to further the RK Bro Usos feud. You know, because they, they opened the show, say that they want the undisputed tag title shot. Then after Riddle beat Sami Zayn, who had a great kind of week as a sort of bloodline uh, spokesperson that, that they didn't ask to to be the spokesperson. And then in the end, he's sort of there with the, US, the Usos accept the unification match for this week's SmackDown. So. It's weird that, you know, Reigns just kind of seems to be around. Um, I did see some people kind of say, you know, this was inevitable and, you know, he has been doing this full time for a decade now in WWE. So, you know, if, if he's going to keep doing it, then he's probably going to want to do it part time. So it's I, 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 to me, Cody and Drew are the two guys who I think are probably the top contenders to beat Roman for it. Yeah. But yeah, it's... it's it's, it's strange because, you know, now they're in a period where, because bef- the last few years it has really been about Roman Reigns as the top guy in the company. And now they're going to have to start thinking about other people to, 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 you know, and somebody who will be looking at this, I'm sure, with absolute glee is an MJF, right? Because in a yeah. year and a half, when his contract's up, I, I, I can't imagine. I know things in wrestling can change. You know, WWE could be really hot in two years. Or they could be the pits, or AEW could be hot, or it could be the pits. Either can happen. But I can't see any. I can't see any situation where WWE will not throw millions and millions of dollars to get MJF. I can't see it. I think they will, because they're going to need younger people and somebody who can get over. And if MJF is available, you know, and they need people, I, th- I think. I think he's. I think this is actually quite a good thing for him in some ways because. WWE might be, you know, more intent on looking for people if Roman Reigns isn't there every week. I wrote that in the next issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. Maybe that's what. I, maybe that's subconsciously where I got it from. Well, look, friend, as Finn Martin said in the next issue of Inside the Ropes magazine. <laughs> um, but no, but it's but it's true, right? Because especially with this information, with the, yeah. with the Roman thing, if yes. Roman's not around, who who else have WWE got that they can go after? That could make a make a difference, but well, I mean, in AEW, yeah, I mean, 
I think they're going to they're going to sign him. They'll offer him a lot of money, and it'll be an interesting time for AEW. Will they be able to retain him? I mean, I think he'll 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 have been champion by then. I think he's going to win win the title later this year. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if I was AEW, I would basically have a word with him and I'd say, uh, Max, stop talking about this publicly because it makes us look like fools. You know, just don't bring this up anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just do not mention this publicly because there's more than 18 months until your contract expires. And in that time, we want to make you a star. Well, you're obviously already a star, but we want to make you a bigger star and we want to make you champ. And if you're talking about leaving, you know, what does that say about your commitment to this company? I mean, just don't talk about this publicly. So um, I heard Cornette bring something up that I don't think we've we've talked about. And I'm kind of curious what you think on it. So obviously MJF was was properly signed to AEW. It wasn't straight away because he was still in MLW when AEW started, but he got signed later in 2019. Maybe maybe it was like the end of 2019. But anyway, so I wonder if he's still in the same money that they would have signed him for originally. I believe that he's he is earning a lot less than obviously he's going to be earning less than Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, who I'm sure are earning more than anyone there. Maybe the maybe the young books are doing very well because they've got those second jobs. You know, I'm not really sure what they do in the main job as wrestlers, but apparently they've got second jobs as well. And do something there. I'm not really sure what they do, but anyway, they do something there. Um, but yeah, as I understand it, he is earning less than other people on the roster. And he's definitely one of the top, I would say top three stars in the company right now. I would say probably punk is number one. Brian's, Actually, probably number three, because he's really been, they've toned him down lately in this, you know, Blackpool Combat Club, six-man matches. So he's not, you know, pushed to the front and centre anymore. MGF feels like a bigger star than Adam Page. So I'd say he's like number two guy in the company. Um, and if he's not earning sort of money that's comparable to, to, to people who are in the top five earners in the company, then he's got genuine grounds for grievance. I mean, I remember back in, I think it was 2000, and Goldberg worked out that he was earning a lot less money than basically every other headliner in the company. And he went home. He just said, no, I want more money. And uh, I, they ended up paying him it, and he returned to work. I think that was, two, it was either 2000, either 99 or 2000. And he just disappeared. He just left. Actually, it was 99, I've just remembered. 99. So, I mean, do you, do you, if you were AEW, if you're Tony Khan right now, yeah. does, should, if he wants to retain MGF, should he sort of go to him and go, look, I want to give you some more money for the remainder of this contract, or do you leave it to the end of the contract? What is, what is the best thing for him to do if MGF is on a lot less money and clearly is one of the sort of main stars that they've got? Um. Well, I mean, they need to have a conversation. And um, firstly, about, MGF talking about potentially leaving and going to the highest bidder. In a sense, he can get away with it, I suppose, because he's a heel, you know, and he he takes that heel role very seriously. Um, it's as if kayfabe still exists in his world. And there's, you know, I think that's quite admirable that he's that he's managing to project that in 2022. But yeah, they need to have a conversation and just needs to sort of tone that down. And, and Tony just needs to say to Max, what do we have to do? Uh, firstly, to appease you, to make you happy, to make sure you're content. 
And secondly, what do we have to do to extend your contract by another 18 months or two years? Because we want to make you champ and we want you to have more than one reign and we want you to stick with us until 2026. So they need to just get together and work it out. I mean, I don't know whether he wants to, because if I was MGF, I don't think I would want to stay in AEW beyond 2024 either, because the real money's in WWE. And, you know, that's the company with the, with the largest reach. Is it going to become a much bigger style there? Potentially, if they don't ruin it for him. And lots of people are saying, well, if he joins WWE, he'll end up as a manager. That could happen. That is absolutely possible. That is conceivable. They could ruin it. I mean, as every wrestler knows or any performer knows in the wrestling business, there has to be that leap of faith and you have to give it a shot. You've got to you've got to know that. Uh, sorry, you've got to you've got to be able to. Well, yeah, you have got to know. You've got to know that you tried. And that's why a lot of people go to WWE like, well, this is the biggest company in the world. I might not make it there, but I need to give it a try. I need to know that I either can or couldn't make it there for whatever reason. And the only way I'm going to know for sure is if I go there and roll the dice on my on myself, on my own, on my own career. I remember when Steve Austin signed with WWF in 1995. There was a lot of people trying to talk him out of it because a lot of people in 95 had done very poorly in that company. Um, a lot of, you know, the, the company didn't really feel like a star maker anymore. It was like it, it lost, Vince had lost his magic touch. And certainly when Austin went there and became the ringmaster and they put him with Ted DiBiase and gave him the million dollar belt. I mean, the outlook, I mean, the forecast was bleak. I mean, you were watching then, Kenny. I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, it was grim. It was grim. I think the thing, I mean, you're, you're totally right. I, I think the thing that that should give any MGF fans or any people who are concerned for MGF, the thing that should give them reassurance is that if they're going to chuck 3 million, 4 million, 5 million to MGF, they're not making him a manager. Exactly. You know, they're, if it, he's going to know by the money offer they give him what they intend to do with him. It'll be very clear. Precisely. Um, if they say, listen, you, it's going to be straight to the main roster. There's going to be no messing around in NXT for six, nine months, a year, 18 months, whatever. We, we, we want you on the main roster. We're going to bring you in Royal Rumble, you know, because his contract apparently expires January 1st, 2024. We're going mm-hmm. to debut you at the Royal Rumble. You're going to win it or we're just going to debut you in a segment. And uh, we're going to start the push for you to become champ in 2025 straight away, give you a huge match at WrestleMania, and we're going to pay you $3 million a year, and we're going to pay you $4 million the following year, and $5 million the year after. That message indicates that they are serious about getting a return on their investment. They're not going to job him out and make him look like a fool. It's just not going to happen. Um, well, listen, there's not really much um, to say about SmackDown. You know, obviously they've set up the unification match for next week. But the one thing that was notable on SmackDown is Ronda Rousey Finn did do an open challenge for the SmackDown Women's title. And Raquel Rodriguez answered the challenge. Um, and she dominated the champion for most of the six minutes that they had the match. And then Rousey got a, a kind of fluke win by rolling her up when Rod- uh, Rodriguez was going for the powerbomb. Uh, what did you make of this open challenge and Raquel kind of getting to look like she was able to hang with Rosie here. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was okay. Um, I mean, Ronda's 
still not connecting with the audience. Um, we've said this previously, and I think there were moments in this match where, the, where it should have been, you know, high voltage in the venue. You know, there should have been an electricity uh, amongst the audience. And I just don't think they were really feeling the match. And it was slightly off in places. I mean, Rousey's still, I don't know what's going on with her, but she just, just not that, she's just not as sure-footed as she once was. Just isn't that Christmas there. It's like she doesn't really seem to, I'm not quite sure why she's not as good as she was in 2018, 2019, but she just isn't. We all know this. We can see it. Um, I thought Raquel did a really good job. Um, I thought it was a respectful match to her. I like the way that she didn't tap out to Ronda Rousey, which was the right, it was kind of like, as you said, like a fluke pin. Um, and afterwards, Rousey offered Rodriguez a handshake, which she accepted. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting this match to take place so soon. Um, we'll see what happens next week and uh, in the coming weeks as to whether or not this was a good idea or not. It wasn't a disaster. I don't think this really was a setback for Rodriguez because it would have been the wrong result for her to win the belt so earlier in her career. I'm sure most people would agree with that. I don't think she was humiliated or I thought she you know, gave a really good account of herself and she, she was obviously calling the match. Ronda just lets her opponents put the matches together. Um, but, you know, when it ended, Kenny, all I could think was, we need Bailey. And most of all, Ronda Rousey needs Bailey. We, she needs Bailey to return, and Bailey is the person who I think can make Ronda Rousey look like a star again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but on Friday they needed Bailey. I mean, as of today, they definitely need Bailey even more so. So hopefully they can because on Raw, you know, Bianca's got a few people she could face. Rousey has nobody on SmackDown um, apart because Raquel, like you said, Raquel's not ready. Shayna Baszler's been lumbered with Natalia. So, you know, Bailey, Bailey's the perfect person if they choose to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, they said on commentary that Charlotte Flair will be out indefinitely uh, due to the broken arm. She suffered uh, a WrestleMania backlash uh, in the outquip match with Ronda Rousey. That's obviously not a real broken arm. It's a storyline broken arm. So mm -hmm. maybe she won't return till SummerSlam, maybe. I know she's going to have a few months off, isn't she? Yeah, well, I mean, that kind of does lead us thin into Raw. So, I mean, there's basically this, the Naomi and Sasha Banks walk out. WWE put a statement out about it saying that they were unprofessional and they walked out and uh, didn't want to honour the, the script that they were given. Corey Graves mentioned it on Raw. So there's a, a tweet from a guy on on, on Twitter who said that he I'm, try, I'm going to try and find the name here actually while we're on the podcast but he seems to be someone who knows Naomi she follows him on social media and he posted a thread at like 4am and I'm not going to read all of it out because it's, it would be long but the guy on the guy's Twitter handle is Adidas or Adidas however you say it underscore head 88 and he had a long thread where he basically said that Sasha and Naomi had got to TV, they'd found out that they were going to be in a six-pack challenge which had been announced on, at the beginning of Raw to see who faces Bianca Belair they were told that one of them would win by pinning the other they weren't very happy about it, they went to Vin, they went to their, the boss, it says uh, to try and get it changed it was going to get changed, then a producer was annoyed about it apparently uh, 
Sasha was going to face Ronda, uh, Naomi was going to face Bianca, and they weren't going to defend the tag belts till Money in the Bank. And it all kind of blew up into they were told to fix their attitudes and they decided to walk out. So that's that seems to be the Naomi and Sasha side from what this guy is saying. Um, obviously, WWE said is that they were unprofessional, that they uh, felt that it would be unsafe to work with two of the women in the match. Uh, it's a very unfortunate situation, Finn. That, uh, all, you know, there's a lot of similarities, I guess you could point out, to someone taking their ball and going home almost 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> to, the, to the date, what do you make of this big story? I mean, Sasha Banks is a, is a big star in WWE, but for the last few years, there always seems to be something that happens between the two of them that's not quite worked out. Um, what do you make of this story? Um, well, I mean, Corey Graves said on Raw, um, we found out moments ago, Sasha Banks and Naomi left the arena. They are ordinarily professional. There has got to be a reason behind it. Now, wasn't it curious that Corey Graves said this on the air and that WWE put out this statement um, accusing them? And there's like references to them rehearsing matches. I mean, kayfabe's truly dead. Sorry, MJF, but they've ruined it for you. You know, he's, <laughs> he's still flying the flag for kayfabe, but everyone else is screwing it up for him. But yeah, it was it was a really quite detailed uh, statement from WWE about what went down. Obviously, it was dissimilar to the statement that you've just read out from the person who's a um, friend or associate or ally of Naomi's. I mean, I find it all a bit bizarre, really. And to me, if Sasha and Naomi were displeased with the, the booking, which obviously they were, if these stories are right, and it gone to the relevant people to try and get the uh, creative change so it was be more to their liking and would be more favorable to them and then that didn't work and then there's a backlash from their superiors you know the middle managers the producers who are saying you know stop pouting you know it's not all about you you know your egos are out of control change your attitudes to me I think they should, really should have gone along with it and just done what they were told. And then if it had flopped in the way that they thought it was going to, then they would have had justifiable grounds to walk out and to leave. Well, not walk out, then just say, well, listen, we're just letting you know that we're not happy with the way this is playing out. Um, and we don't really, until we can reach a compromise, we don't want to continue working here. And at least they would have fulfilled their obligation at Raw. So that's where I think they went wrong by not doing as they were asked on Raw. And some people might say, well, that would have been harmful to their careers. Well, it wouldn't really, would it? I mean, they would have overcome it. I mean, it's not, it wouldn't have been a career. It wouldn't have been Brock Lesnar defeating Steve Austin. I mean, you brought that up there, June 2002. We know Austin was furious and had been for months. Apparently, Sasha and Naomi had not been happy for months as well, according to this person whose statement you read out. Yeah, he also mentioned that um, at the beginning of his, his uh, thread, said that in February, WWE went to the two and asked if they would, and said, you know, we want you to team, even though they'd been told that they would have a big, pro each would have a big programme at WrestleMania, so they decided to do the team. I think the idea seems to be that they've, they really went 100% into the team and tried to get it over and tried to kind of, you know, get behind it to be told a month into the title reign that we're just going to have you have you 
lose to both singles champions to get them over and then we'll put you guys back together. So there seems to be a sort of long-term resentment yes. on, you know, in some way. I mean, the difficulty is, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this off air. I mean, I think Naomi's somebody who, you know, she is over with the crowd, but Naomi's not really a needle mover in any way. You know, Naomi's not someone that's really going to matter if she's around or not too much. I mean, it will to certain, you know, a portion of fans who really enjoy her. But I mean, Sasha Banks, she was in The Mandalorian. She always seems to, she, seem, she seems to be the only kind of big star that WWE have that it's just seemed to not click for a while, you know? Like, because there was the whole issue in 2019 where it was reported that she'd walked out and then she sort of said she hadn't walked out and there was more to it and there was a big sort of situation. Then she had the really good run with Bailey in 2020 and then after that, she started doing this thing where, she, you know, did you see the Ariel, Har- Ariel Harwani thing where he tried to in- interview her and she did the whole thing in gimmick? And he sort of said it was the worst interview he'd ever done. <laughs> I don't um, think I saw that one, but I ha- maybe I did. I had I have seen... No, I'm thinking of the interview, the one where they basically, lots of people online picked out some comments she'd made about Ronda Rousey. Yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. covering that in, in the magazine and it was like they were trying to make out... It was like, you know, the classic thing where they're just taking a quote and then almost using it out of context to try and make someone look foolish or unpleasant or, you know, um, snide. And I really remember covering that in the magazine and I was like on Sasha's side. So, well, hold on a minute. You know, if you just take that quote, then yeah, it seems like she's saying this thing. But if you actually listen to the whole thing that she said, she was actually saying something very different. So no, as, as, so no that was a different interview, the one you're referring to where she was in character. No, I didn't see it actually, Kenny. Sorry, I didn't see it. But, you know, but, I mean, she, there, there has just been a sort of disconnect between WWE and Sasha Banks for a while, it seems. Then there was obviously the situation last summer where she was not on SummerSlam. There was never an explanation as to why. She's never yes. talked about why she wasn't there. There just seems to be this disconnect. Now, I I don't want to be like, WWE are right, because I don't know what went on. I don't want to say that Sasha was right, because I don't, don't, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. But something has definitely been brewing for a while. Um, I know that there was some people saying, well, as her contract ups and maybe she's annoyed. I mean, I, it'll be curious to see when her contract is up because if it's up soon, I could see her leaving. But if she's tied in for a few years, we've seen this before, like they will keep you and they'll, if you take six months off, they will extend your contract by six months if you yeah. if you walk out. So she's basically going to have to either, if, she, if her contract's up soon, she can leave or she can try and sort it out. But how many fallen outs did they need to have? You know, it was like when Steve Austin had fallen outs with him, he had like two in a row and then he came back and had a short thing and then left. I just yeah. don't know if at this point there's going to be a harmonious coming together of Sasha and WWE because I feel like they are going to use this as digs against her for a long time. Yeah, well, they do do that. I mean, we know they do that. And... um and, you know, Sasha, I mean, she's been there a long time now and maybe she feels like she's done everything she can, which I think she has. Um, she's headlined WrestleMania and I can imagine that her ego was bruised because she wasn't in one of the top spots at WrestleMania and was in like a tag match. I mean, her and Naomi did win and I thought the match was a lot better than um, it was going to be. I mean, I thought they did well. Um, the problem we've got, of course, is that they just don't have that much quality opposition so 
I can understand there will be frustration about that. And I also understand the frustration as well about the booking if they're not happy with it. I get that. My point is that you need to just do what, try and get it changed. If they don't want to change it, you're better off just doing what they ask and then recognizing that it failed. And then if all involved are like, well, hold on, that hasn't worked. That can actually then be um, very helpful in terms of you getting what you want. Because what you've done is you've gone along with what they what they wanted you to do. You raised your objections before you did it. You pointed out that it wasn't going to work. And then if it doesn't work, your views are then far more respected backstage because you're seen as a team player. And you're seen as somebody who's working towards you know, a common goal and better quality TV or matches or whatever. So... You know, you've got to play the political game backstage. You've got to pick your fights. And sometimes, you know, in pro wrestling, you've got to take one for the team. And if that means you looking bad for one night, then so be it. I mean, everyone's done it in this company. And I think Sasha and Naomi are established enough that they would have been fine whatever happened, however it played out. And sometimes in pro wrestling, when something because everyone knows the score now, obviously. Look at the statement that WWE put out. If something is a big flop and the talent have tried their, you know, done their utmost to make it work, that can actually be really beneficial for the talent. And there can be a lot more support for the talent. And the company, because it's, it's social media obsessed, as we know, they will be monitoring things. And if there's a backlash to something that's taken place and the fans really dislike it, then they'll read that, they'll recognize it, and they're more likely to then agree with Sasha and Naomi in future, or would have been more likely to agree with Sasha and Naomi in future if they raised an objection to something that was proposed to them. So it's, to me, it's all about playing the game. Uh, but maybe they just got to the point where they just had enough. They've reached the end of the tether or, and just said, you know what, we just don't want to be here, be here anymore. Um, and, you know, everyone reaches that point in wrestling, you know, and, and in various jobs in life. Happily, I haven't reached that point yet, Kenny, on this podcast. It's my job to make sure you never reach that point. That's my, that's my job. I, yeah, I, I mean, feel... hopefully I made some sense there. And I just, I just sort of feel like you, you've got to just sometimes, you've got to just go along with it. And then afterwards, you know, put, do the post-mortem and work out what, what part of it was a success and what part of it was a failure. And if the whole thing was a failure, then you will actually receive loyalty points and respect points and every other kind of point backstage for going along with something and trying to make the best out of a bad situation. And um, I feel like that's what they should have done. But you know what? It's up to them. I'm not knocking them. If they felt that this wasn't going to work for them and they just had enough, they've got to do what they feel is right for them. I mean, I'll be curious to see if it does come out, if there was a producer who seemed to be, because apparently it was a producer who seemed to not be happy that they'd went to Vince and agreed to get something changed. And it was really the, the issue with the producer that seemed to be the issue. And that the producer was telling them to fix their attitudes and all that. So I'm curious if we ever find out who that was. Yeah. Because that could could tell us something, you know, if, that's, if that person is being... And then, you know, also let's not forget that Naomi is married to you know uh you know roman reigns cousin in the bloodline so we're we're gonna is roman reigns gonna just stay out of it is he gonna sort of stand behind naomi on it there's some interesting political elements that could come out of this as well so we will yeah. keep an eye on it 
in, and just in conclusion, this could end up being a really good thing for both. If they can find a way of, in you know, old style switching the heat, which let's face it, in wrestling, they find a convenient scapegoat. This has happened before. Put all the heat on that producer. It's his fault. <laughs> you know, they can all get together again and um, work it out. And, you know, this could actually be turned into a storyline. It feels to me like they're already planning ahead. They're already preparing for that eventuality. Those two returning, Corey Graves going off on one, maybe doing an in-ring interview with them, you know, and explaining it. They still never explain the Mustafa Ali thing, um, but maybe Corey, because, I mean, he's been a long-time basher, hasn't he, of Sasha Banks. He's often said she's got a big ego. Yeah. And that would actually work out really well if you had Corey in the ring, really giving Sasha a hard time about walking out and, you know, having a big ego and making it all about her. Sasha could do the heel turn. And, you know, you've got a totally new character for her. She has kind of felt a bit stale recently. She's somebody who should be on top, let's be honest. She's somebody who should be wrestling for the title. So this could end up could end up being a good thing, at least for Sasha. And listen, before we go, let's kind of go through just some of the top points on Raw. So out of this whole thing, we ended up getting in the main event, Becky Lynch and Asuka. Um, Adam Pearce changed it to that as the main event whenever we go on to face um, Bianca at the pay-per-view. Um, now, Asuka ends up uh, getting the win, but with the spraying the mist in Becky's face. Um, so Asuka wins, but I mean, it feels like this is really a sort of opening to Becky somehow getting in there and it'd be a triple threat match. But what did you make of uh, you know the scramble that they kind of did to put something in the main event that would feel like a worthy uh, replacement? Yeah, I liked it. They had um, Bianca Belair was at ringside. Uh, at one point, Lynch hurled Asuka into Bianca, who was, you know, sat in the chair. Um, the finish came when uh, Lynch tried to nail Asuka with her umbrella. Uh, at this point, the referee's distracted, and uh, Asuka intercepted the attack, um, counterattacked with, with the green mist, which they showed on replay. I mean, I think they were just... Let's have a look on that. Look at it on replay to make sure some of it actually connected before we show it on replay. Happily, some of it did. Um, and then Asuka scored the pin. So you're right, it's like a tainted win for Asuka. Um, it was, I thought it was a good TV match, good TV main event. Um, wasn't actually that long, but it's a TV match. And as you hinted there, I mean, Asuka and Lynch, are they going to be, are both of them going to face Bianca Belair at Hell in a Cell? I think so, because there's no other, there's no other obvious spot for Becky Lynch at the moment, and she needs to be in one of the big matches, you know? She, you know, you can't put Becky Lynch in the corner, Kenny. You could put Sasha Banks, well, put Sasha Banks in the corner and look at what happens. She walks out. Oh, you better be careful. Better keep yeah. Becky Lynch on side. Yeah, um, so I think, yeah, I think uh, Lynch will be added. She'll come out and complain next week and say it was a tainted win. You know, Adam Pierce, how day in, because he she had uh, spoke to Adam Pierce earlier and thought that she would just be named number one contender, didn't she? She said that, you know, you just need to name me number one contender. I haven't had my rematch yet. And then um, Adam Pierce said, well, no, you're going to have to face Asuka, and the winner will then face Bianca Belair at Hell in a Cell. So, yeah, I thought I thought I thought it was well done. I um and I'm and I think it's part of a longer storyline. And I think a triple threat match works for everyone. What do you think, Kenny? 
Yeah, I think that's the, the best way to come out of it. And they did the best they could with the you know what they were dealt because I think Naomi and Sasha actually walked out during the show. So um, yeah, they, they did everything they could. I think Ask and Becky have been working together on house shows, so at least they. You know, and they, they they always have good matches. So yeah, I thought it was a good main event. I liked Asuka kind of getting the the missed finish. Not seen that in a while. Um, elsewhere on the show, we did have and, it. Sorry, Kenny, and also the thing as well. If they do a triple threat match, Bianca can retain, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a clean finish. So yes. both Asuka and or whoever does the job, that person can be protected on the finish. Yeah, exactly. Um. We also had the setup for Cody and Seth that they're going to have a Hell in a Cell match on June 5th. Um, the, the promo, Cody did a good promo. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm not like, you know, salivating at the idea of the third match being Hell in a Cell because I don't really know if the feud is sort of barbaric enough for Hell in a Cell. But I mean, they do they have a Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. We kind of have to put matches in it. Uh, what did you make of their way to get to on this episode? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought Rhodes did a really good uh, promo. He was, you know, alluded to Stardust and the problems he had and looking at the lights and, you know, just being a loser, you know, in his previous incarnation in the company of Stardust and um, accepting that he would never be the American dream, but he was the American nightmare. I think that was, I think that was an important distinction to make that he wasn't trying to be his father, even though, you know, even though he was trying to, he was sort of, he's trying to do what his father couldn't do in the company um but he was his own man his own character so i think that was important um and i think you know for second generation talents um i think it's important to obviously respect your wrestling heritage ancestry but also to be your own person and to have a career that's really based on on you rather than the person uh, that was in the business before you um, and I think he did a really good job of doing that there. Um, you know, mentioned that he'd left and reinvented himself. I'm not sure if the audience was really understanding a lot of the points that he was making because they were they were quite subtle. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, direct comments to Stardust. And if you didn't know what it was what he was on about, it might have gone over your head. So then he suggested that the uh, that he faced Seth Rollins for a third time inside Hell in a Cell. Um, Rollins appeared on the big screen, cackling, and he accepted. And it seemed very serious the whole way that it played out. I mean, some of the previous verbal confrontations between Cody and Stardust—sorry, I'm bringing Stardust now—Cody and Seth Rollins had almost been sort of comical, and I think this was a different tone, which was very much required in the run-up to Hell in a Cell, which, of course, will be the last match of their feud. Maybe the reason you're not feeling it, Kenny, is because we've known that this has been coming ever since WrestleMania Backlash. Yeah. Maybe even before WrestleMania Backlash, we predicted that this would happen, that there would be a third match and it would be a Hell in a Cell inside the Hell in a Cell. So, um, yeah, maybe you've kind of talked yourself out of it, Kenny. Maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it's not. They they did a good job building it. It's just you know, I get. I'm just going to be the old man in the corner going, "Do you remember when Hell in a Cell used to be the end of a feud?" You know, but um, it's just, it, they'll do a good job in the night, I'm sure. Um, we should mention though uh, that we did get the Bobby Lashley and Omas cage match fin, and we got the Saint Valentine's Day massacre finish with Omas playing the, the part of Paul White, Bobby Lashley put, playing the part of Steve Austin. Um, 
because Omas uh, launched him at the side of the cage. It broke. Lashley was on the cage panel. It was against the ring. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the finish at Savantes Day Mask was a bit different because they had the big the big cage. But, you know, same same process. Lashley is able to just step off the panel. He's named the winner. So Lashley wins. But, I mean, is this going to now, you know, now it seems like we're gonna maybe going to set up Hell in a Cell with Bobby Lashley and Omas. What did you make of their cage match here? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... All the all the the cage I think was worked very well in this situation. Um, in some ways, it didn't work at all because Cedric Alexander came out and attacked Bobby Lashley outside the cage. Then he climbed up the side of the cage and attacked Lashley. Um, I suppose in a way it doesn't matter now, but I mean, once upon a time, the whole point of the cage match was that it was designed to prevent outside interference. And it never does that. Just never. I mean, MVP was there at ringside with his cane, you know, ramming it into Lashley's throat. So there's all this outside interference in a cage match, which sort of negates the point of a cage match. Um, but I think it did help these two in terms of putting the match together because the cage in itself has an aura. When we have a cage match, there's automatically more interest in the match because there's a there's, there's still you know there's still fence there's fencing around the, the ring, so I think the match did work. I think there was a lot of noise for it. There's a lot of interest in the match. Um, you're right. Does this finish with um, Omas, who was very much in control of the match, throwing Lashley into the cage and part of it collapsing, and then Lashley fell to the floor and stood on the ringside mat, so he won the match by uh, cage escape. And Omas was in a ring looking furious that, you know, Lashley had evaded him and he wasn't able to pin him and finish him off. Does this mean that the feud must continue? And I fear it does. And I don't, I don't want to see any more matches between these two. I don't see how they're going to top that match that they had on Raw last night. I think that's really the peak of the feud. Yeah. I think that match actually was better than, I'm not saying better than I was expecting. I think it's because there were so many distractions that it was better than I was expecting. And if they have a Hell in a Cell match, I just think, I just don't think this feud needs it. I just don't think this feud needs Hell in a Cell. And I don't think I need to need to see another match between these two. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where they had, the, I mean, I guess their plan was, you know, we'll do this match, we'll do the finish, we'll actually win, but does he really win? And that can set up something more. But it's like, they're not going to top this. Because this was really fun. Yeah. Um, and Omas can't really do anything. So, you know, the idea of him in a, in a Hell in a Cell match just doesn't really, isn't that appealing? But, you know, maybe if they open the pay-per-view and they've got some fun stunts planned, maybe they can just, you know, make it fun. But I'm not I'm not salivating for this one either, Finn. No, no salivation happening for Hell in a Cell just yet. Um, yeah, but, I mean, I'm happy for Cedric Alexander. You yeah. know, I thought he, he was great here and I'm glad that he's such a talented guy and he's somebody who I think has a lot of personality as well, certainly a lot more than you used to have. We often talked on this podcast how he was a total zero in the personality department <laughs> and I think he's developed a personality as a bad guy. And, and I like the idea of a, of a Cedric and Omas tag team with MVP as their manager. I think that can work. Um. Yeah, no, I, I mean, because we should mention that, uh, you know, Shelton Benjamin is injured at the moment. So he, he but, you know, but this is a chance for Cedric to be able to do more in, in yeah. the role and shine a little bit better. So, um, yeah, I thought he brought a ton of energy and I thought he really enhanced the match here. 
Um, yeah, same. I thought, I thought he had a good night here. He showed some personality, which is not something he does very often. Um, but listen, that is all the time we've got for today. That was the kind of biggest stuff on Raw that was happening. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with Power Slam, uh, where we on Patreon, Friday on the main feed, where we will uh, chat about the news. We'll see if there's anything more that's come out about this uh, walkout. Um, maybe they'll they'll bring back WB Confidential to do a story on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we will be able to tell you who the Jokers are from AEW Dynamite. And no, I don't mean the Young Bucks. But I mean, who will Brett Baker be facing? Who will Samoa Joe be facing? We will discuss it on Thursday. So, Finn, I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your day before we talk tomorrow because we're going to be recording Judgment Day 2002 tomorrow for Patreon. We are, and I'm looking forward to this. I mean, that's yeah. partly because we've just reviewed Insurrection. So, you know, what couldn't be? better than that but um yeah i'm looking forward to the judgment day review and yeah i'm going around to see a buddy of mine tonight he's 53 kenny and he's just retired oh wow well that's i mean that's how to do it it is isn't it so that's (laughs) it i'm retiring i've had enough <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can you can head over to patreon.com forward slash inside the ropes to check out that judgment day review later this week and tons more. Pre-order issue 21 of Inside the Ropes magazine at inside the ropes magazine.com. And uh, the wheels just keep on turning, Finn. We're here every week. They Open certainly do, and we should point out that issue 21 of his Inside the Ropes magazine will be out next Thursday, a week on Thursday, May 26th. Perfect. Um, and hopefully you will get that if you're a subscriber, sometimes you can get a day or two before. So it's always worth subscribing just on that chance. Um, so yeah, I want to thank you all for your support and we'll talk to you soon, everybody. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.